Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in the City podcast series from the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation, also called City, at Rush University. Teaching in the City features conversations with faculty and staff on topics related to teaching and learning at one of the nation's leading academic medical centers. My name is Dr. Angela Solik, and I'm the director of City. It has been my own personal mission to help faculty become better educators, and leading City helps me on that mission. Hi, everyone. This is Angela again. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Teaching in the City. In this episode, I will be talking with Claudia Martinez, Carrie O'Grady, Matthew Swagler, and Emily Rush about their responses to AI or artificial intelligence. AI has taken education by storm. I think that's that's using a loose term, okay, for its abilities to create novel content for just about anything anyone can imagine. More than likely, we're going to have many podcasts, episodes about AI, but this first one is going to focus on how educators have responded to this phenomenon. Participants, please introduce yourself, starting with Claudia. Hi, everyone. Um, I am Claudia, and I teach in the Bachelor of Sciences and Health Sciences program at Rush University, where I am teaching professional writing this summer. I'm also a professional writer, which essentially just means I get paid to write. (laughs) All right, Emily. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Emily Rush, and I'm an instructional designer with City at Rush University, where I assist instructors with course design and faculty development. Um, I'm also, in addition to being an instructional designer, I'm a former university level instructor in the humanities, and I have more than 10 years of experience in higher education. She is also the city resident expert on AI. I'm throwing that in there. (laughs) Carrie, how about you? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I am Carrie O'Grady. I'm an associate professor of public relations and corporate communications. I've been teaching at the high school, undergraduate, and graduate levels for approximately 14 years, and I'm currently on the pre-college teaching and pedagogical support team at Columbia University, as well as a faculty affairs and curriculum consultant at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Fantastic. And last but not least, Matt. Well, thanks, Angela, and thanks for the invite. I am Matt Swagler, and I'm an assistant professor of history at Connecticut College, primarily teaching African history. I've been teaching now for about five years at a variety of public and private higher ed institutions, and before that, I worked as a consultant at the Baruch College Writing Center uh, here in New York, where I live. Awesome. I love that we're all over the place. All right, we're going to hop into questions. The first question is, When you first found out about the introduction of artificial intelligent tools through ChatGPT, which was the first one that kind of came out and became mainstream, what was your reaction? I'm curious about it either from a professional lens or from a personal lens. Emily, you are up first. Okay, thanks, Angela. I'm going to start with a professional lens. And, but first I want to acknowledge that my perspective might be different in that I'm not an instructor. So I come at it from a different perspective and my content area is more the science of teaching and learning and that's really shaped my reaction. Initially, I'd say that I came to AI and ChatGPT from a place of curiosity. I was intrigued, but I wasn't really sure at the time in late November, early December last year, how significant its impact would be. Uh, But as I became more familiar with AI, 
I got the sense that it would have a profound impact on education. And I certainly say now that it's an understatement to say that I am an AI enthusiast. And I'm especially excited about its potential to be even more transformative for education than the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, for sure. It, we, we have no idea, but I, I think you might be right too. Carrie, what about you? I love how Emily used the word enthusiast, so I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I'm also an enthusiast. And so when professionally and personally, I was very excited. And the first thing I wanted to do was to really understand the benefits and shortcomings coming from the classroom and education. So I could really anticipate how students were going to use it. But I also wanted to understand how it could facilitate teaching and learning with my instructors so they could not only use it to enhance the classroom experience and hopefully student success, but also use it for lesson planning and professional development to make their lives easier and save time and energy in a very time-pressed profession right now. Okay. Matt, how about you? Um, that's great, Carrie. When you figure those things out, please tell me because I am <laughs> one of those time-pressed people. But I certainly, I guess I had a little bit of a different response. I kind of had a moment of panic, I think, as, you know, in my capacity primarily as an instructor. You know, history courses are often quite reading intensive. We do a lot of analysis, a lot. They're, they're often very writing intensive and learning, kind of building or learning all of those skills is a big part of my classes. And so no matter where I've taught, a lot of students are also very time stretched, um, you know, impressed in many different directions. And I knew this technology was going to be very appealing for those who, uh, you know, were working multiple jobs or raising kids or, you know, overcommitted or and or people who were, you know, felt underconfident or underprepared in different ways um, in terms of their skills, whether that was, you know, reading comprehension or writing skills. So I, I think I, you know, I still carry some of that fear about how this is going to how this is being used as kind of a shortcut to learning those this this the exact skills that I'm trying to help students build up in my classes. Um, but I think I was also I've also been able to step back and pretty quickly remind myself that even in my lifetime students, including myself at some point right have turned to all sorts of new technology as it's come about from you know Google to YouTube to Wikipedia to spark notes and other things as a way of trying to make you know learning more efficient. Sometimes that can include, you know, uh, plagiarism and things like that, but not necessarily. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to think about this as just being the next chapter, um, but it certainly feels like a bigger leap than some of those other technologies before. Oh, that's, that's for sure. Uh, Claudia, last but not least, how did you react? Um, so like a lot of people in my professional network, meaning writers, have been talking about this for some time. Um, and kind of the general consensus is, is like this overconfidence, right? Like, oh, AI can never write, can never do what we're doing. It's not, you know, it's never going to be able to get to the level that a human being um, can write at. So there's nothing to be afraid of, right? So I kind of just treated it like noise at first. I thought, you know, okay, well, it's just, just another technology I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, and it wasn't until my department really started thinking about it. And, you know, I kind of essentially became the department's like expert on AI um, through no choice of my own that I really started to like know it's, you know, it's actually really robust and can actually write some really incredible things. Um, and I really 
didn't think it was possible, but it totally is. Um, and almost kind of in a scary kind of way, um, it can totally, I can see how it can totally write at least, a, at the very least, a B paper, uh, which is for some of my students probably more than enough to be happy with. Um, so it, it's um, it's been really quite a kind of a roller coaster between thinking this is totally like a, a non-issue to like oh this can be very much an issue to just really learning how to like live with it and and accept that it's there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's go into question two. So this is kind of getting to well, what are we going to do about it? So based on the hot, the type of role that you have at your institution. What did you decide to do about AI and its potential to affect the way that people teach, the way that students learn, and how students show what they have learned? Carrie, you are up to bat. Sure, Matt, I've got you later in this podcast. I have some suggestions for you. So, so the first thing I did was create an account. I'm a big trial by fire uh, person. So I really wanted to dive in and just naturally play with it and, and see what it could do versus what it couldn't do. So when I, once I started really playing around with the tool and researching through the trades and other news sources and, and seeing what they were saying, I wanted to really get a handle on the features and benefits and limitations. And as Claudia said, it can do a lot, a lot of cool things, but it also has some limitations, right? Like AI is not perfect. It's generated. A lot of the content is generated by humans. Uh, fact checking is a, an issue. Uh, sourcing is an issue. Uh, sometimes the writing is convoluted and the syntax isn't correct. So I really dove into what the limitations were first before I understood the benefits. And there this really helped me frame how I was going to talk to our instructors and our students about it. So once I, I felt like I got a solid handle on all of those things, I sent out a memo to all of the faculty in my department and said, hey, listen, this is what AI can do really well. This is what it can't do well. And these are some suggestions about how to give permission to explore and to enable uh, appropriate use of the tool in your classroom and also encourage use of it in ways that will not only enhance learning, not substitute it, but enhance learning and also provide more access to learning. So I sent out a list of ways that faculty could talk to students about it while also keeping academic integrity and uh, learning and actually doing the work themselves top of mind. And I've said this before in the press and I stand by it. I think that the more you insist on monitoring and policing AI use or forbidding it, the more students will just use it anyway. So my recommendation is to always embrace it and to use it as much as possible and support it. And I have to say the student experience, which I know we'll probably get to a little bit later, was amazing. And we had very few cases of academic um, integrity issues. And also our faculty started using it to help with lesson planning and facilitating ideas when they were stuck. So it was a really positive experience for me. I love that. I love that you spend it that way. Matt, what was your experience? Well, for me, I I, I took a, a similar approach, and I should give some credit here to uh, to the director of my Center for Teaching and Learning at Connecticut College, Michael Rader, who invited uh, Dr. Timothy Lacquintano, who's the director of Lafayette College's writing program, to speak to us over winter break in January, sort of as this was all kind of hitting. Um, and it was from 
Dr. LaQuintano that I kind of got this idea of having a policy in my classes of allowing students to use large language models like ChatGPT or, you know, or other apps where it's been embedded already, so long as they were very transparent about their use. So, so as long as they cited their use, um, which large language model were they using? What prompts had they fed it? What was the output that they, that they were going to use? And the idea there was, again, to kind of like, I knew students were going to turn to it, and I didn't, you know, I wanted it to really kind of be treated like any other source, like a big skill that I'm often trying to get students, you know, in the habit of in my class and really learn to do is precisely to be citing and to be recognizing the work and to be very transparent about sort of where this information is coming from and to evaluate the quality of information from different sources. And so instead of treating it as kind of verboten, instead really thinking about, you know, this is another source, much as this book or this article is that we've read in class, possibly. So how are you using it? What are you taking from it? Um, and my hope was that that would then encourage students to, to then be transparent about it. Um, of course, I didn't spend enough time at the beginning of the class really foregrounding that for students. So instead, students kind of used it but thought they weren't really supposed to. And that in, I, it meant that I had to later in the semester have a conversation with everybody about what the policy really was. And, um, and, and that kind of opened things up and it, it removed a lot of the kind of apprehension and fear around it in, in my classes. And I think that was good. Now I know for next semester to really foreground that at the beginning of the semester. That's right. And, and you're gonna be helping other people who are listening to this too, who haven't done this yet. So I appreciate that. Emily, how about you? Yeah, like Carrie and Matt, I started experimenting with a variety of tools as soon as possible. And I've been also reading as much as I can about different uses of AI and sources that think about its long, immediate and long-term implications. Also, I guess more directly related to my role at Rush, one of the things I've been doing is working with my fellow instructional designers. And we've been trying to anticipate different instructor and faculty needs by doing things like developing workshops to think about how to incorporate AI into your teaching or how to reconsider assessments in terms of AI vulnerability. Some future things that we're working on are developing plug and play activities like an AI augmented think pair share that faculty can easily adopt into teaching. And we're also looking at some new tools like my essay feedback, which is an AI based tool. It's on the GPT framework, the GPT-4 framework, and it's a tool that gives students formative feedback on their writing. So those are just sort of like a handful of things that I've been doing so far. Claudia, I know you're a writing teacher, and I was a writing teacher for a very long time, and the idea that AI could actually give students feedback before I get to their paper kind of makes me excited. So what do you, so what do you think? So um, I was really lucky that I had um, Emily as a resource. <laughs> so um, she is somebody that I reached out to when I started doing this, and she sent about a gazillion articles my <laughs> way. Um, first thing, you know, that I did is I did add um, a policy to the syllabus. And um, first day of class, one of the first things we talked about was AI and how AI is changing writing. Um, she she um, actually turned me on to this really great article. I can't remember the name of it. It's on my syllabus, and I wish I had pulled it up. Uh, but it's basically a letter written to students, right, um, from a professor 
Um, and it just talks about the importance of still being able to generate ideas and how writing is really more about the thinking than like that perfect grammar. Um, and just really talking to students about how that perfect grammar doesn't necessarily make for good writing. So we've actually done peer reviews where we have been peer reviewing the AI. So the AI will write an essay and then we'll peer review what the AI wrote and see what it does well and what it doesn't do well. Um, so kind of the same thing that um, Dr. O'Grady was talking about, what does it do and what doesn't it do well. Um, from, from the source, right? From the actual AI writing these essays. Um, so it's been a really interesting, um, you know, summer for sure, um, <laughs> given like that we talk about AI almost every single um, class that we meet. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not going away. So it's just kind of a matter of embracing it. Awesome. So now, okay, after we've learned all of this stuff about AI and its potential for education, so how do you think overall this is affecting your job or will affect your job? Matt? Uh, yeah, I, so it's definitely affecting my job already. Um, you know, like I said, I had, a, I had a policy, at least on paper, of requiring students to be just transparent about their use of generative AI. Most of my classes, um, I use an ungrading model where students are effectively assessing their own learning along the way right down to the final grade. So my hope was that, you know, just asking people to be transparent about would take some of the pressure off of students who would other might otherwise try to kind of hide their use of, of, of generative AI. Um, and I am trying to, like I said, build these skills around how do you bring different source material into conversation with another? How do you properly quote? How do you reference? How do you cite those materials? Um, and so, you know, I wanted them to kind of think about AI as yet another tool and another source. The thing that I ran into was that people did use, um, you know, AI to generate just, you know, full on kind of essays. Um, and so I, you know, quickly found in some interesting examples along the way, like quotes that were complete, you know, some AI uh, model somewhere had completely generated out of out of thin air that sounded like they could have been from this reading from class, but were definitively not um, did not appear anywhere in that book. So, um, you know, there were a lot of things that became very apparent to me about kind of how it was being used um, and its and its weaknesses and strengths that I learned through the process of basically getting papers from students that were generated by AI. Um, and I think that I the thing that I did was at first I got a little fixated on trying to kind of like figure out what exactly, you know, what exactly was AI generated and what wasn't. Um, but over time, I kind of stepped back and tried to think about, okay, like what are the skills that I actually wanted the student to get out of this assignment? Um, and how is it that in this, these particular cases, this use probably of, you know, some kind of generative AI was not getting the student there. Um, and I, so when I kind of handed back these papers, I didn't really press the AI issue that much, to be honest. Instead, I kind of pressed on, your, you know, a, the lack of kind of deep engagement with the actual sources or a lack of engagement with the conversations that we've been having in class. Where is that in this assignment? Where is this in your writing? Um, and I think that that, you know, ultimately I was able to kind of say like, that's the more important issue here, you know. Um, that's the thing that I'm trying to get, trying to get everyone in the class to learn and work on. Um, and I was able to kind of step back a little bit from whether, you know, someone used exactly this much AI or not. That's super cool. Awesome. Emily. Yeah, so I, I would definitely say that AI has had a 
profound impact on my job in the sense that it's made for a really busy summer as it I'm sure it has for many of us. And we've had a large uptick in the training that we've been offering at City. In terms of AI, I think it, we have to acknowledge that it brings with it a lot of challenges for learning design. But what really excites me is the way that it can prompt reflection on current teaching practices and asking us, how are those practices serving us now? I would say, as Carrie mentioned, we can certainly use AI to automate certain tasks and increase productivity. But I think maybe more exciting are the future uses for things like personalization, differentiated instruction, or the chance to have assignments in which AI plays a role so that we can focus to a higher level on um, higher order learning outcomes. Yeah, it, it's this whole discussion is actually in my own brain. I'm feeling really empowered and just ex more excited than I was before we've had this conversation. So Claudia, how do you think it's affecting your job? Honestly, I'm not too worried about it. Um, it's definitely had it's definitely changed the way I'm teaching and approaching um, teaching writing for sure, uh, because so much of it can be done by machines now. But one of the things that we're really focusing on in our class this summer is just this idea of human oversight. Right, you still very much need human oversight for whatever you're um, producing with the AI, whether it's you know it, whether it's um, you know, a machine that's diagnosing something in the ER to a machine that is writing something you ask it to write. Um, you still want to very much make sure that you're reading what it's writing, that its intention, you know, the intention is still there, that um, that it's saying what you actually want it to say, because I find that often it's not. I mean, we did this assignment where we had students um, ask the AI to rewrite a paragraph and for three different audiences. And it honestly didn't do a very good job. It just changed language, but it didn't really change um, how it saw the audience itself. It, it was really interesting. Very, that's super, super interesting. Okay, so have you actually used generative AI like ChatGPT, okay, for your own job or in your classroom? I'm talking about like you yourself. If you have, let us know what you've done. Claudia, you're up first for this one. So I actually used it yesterday to write a survey. <laughs> um, there's like a big meeting going on in our department and I was asked to write a survey and I just, you know, put in a bunch of topics and, and it wrote a survey and it actually did a really good job with that. Um, I had to go in and edit it, you know, a little bit, but like I have to say, I did, I did take the easy route and I used it. Yeah, wait till you hear mine. <laughs> uh, Carrie, how about you? Yeah, so I've used it actually live in the classroom during class, uh, which has been super fun while I'm teaching to ask uh, ChatGPT's opinion on things, just to see the differentiation between the student's opinion, ChatGPT's, and mine. That has made for very fun discussions and has really added color in the classroom. So while you're teaching, I think it's also really fun to sometimes ask ChatGPT some things. And that's been really great. Um, I also sometimes, uh, when I'm planning for lessons or lectures, especially at the pre-college level that I'm currently teaching at, sometimes I really want to know what high schoolers are engaged with um, currently. And 
I, I'm not always up to speed on what they, they love and engage with. And so sometimes right before I go into a lesson or I need to substitute, I'll ask about uh, what a high schooler is, is on their minds or what they're watching, right? I just did that the other day, like, what are high schoolers watching these days? And then I can incorporate those things into my lessons. And so again, it's not substituting the work that I have to do to prepare for classes, but it's also just enriching my experience in the classroom because it's helping me plan. So it's been an asset. Awesome. So I, I'm going to be completely transparent here and say that I took me a long time to create a chat GPT account. And I'm talking like, like two weeks ago, I, I would listen to Emily and Peg and Laura and people in, in my team who have been really digging into AI, but I hadn't yet thought maybe I should just try it until I was pressed for time. And I was in a design situation where I had to come up with some examples of different types of pedagogical pedagogical approaches. And I'm like, I, I'm not in the mood to do this. I, my brain is tired. So I'm like, okay, chat GPT. And so I channeled my inner Emily and I'm like, let's do this. And so I, you should have seen, I wish I had a recording of my face. I wish I had a recording because I was like, oh, what? Like, I couldn't believe it because I am an expert on the things I was asking it to do. So I can verify, you know, what it was doing for me. So I, I was asking it to give me some uh, examples of like case-based learning, project-based learning, um, problem-based learning, like all that kind of stuff I needed to get out in this, in this course. And yeah, it actually did a remarkable job and I can't even believe it. I still haven't shown my husband this. I can't wait to show him what this is. Cause I don't think he has any clue. He's an engineer. Like this isn't in, in his, you know, anyway. But yeah, that's that was my first time um, using it. It's the only time I've used it so far, but but this is pretty cool. How about you, Matt? Angela, I thought you were going to say that you used ChatGPT to generate all the questions for this podcast. Oh, I should have. I should have. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I, I I will admit that I I got an account very quickly, and I kind of have tooled around on it in a bunch. Um, run some of my like assignment prompts through it to see what would happen, that kind of thing. But I haven't really figured out how to use it. I texted all my siblings and their partners this morning to ask if they used it in their work lives. They're all, you know, outside of academia and they all immediately rep replied in the affirmative. Um, it's kind of a daily part of their workflow. Um, and so obviously this is gonna be the case for, for, you know, the students that we are hopefully graduating out into the world. And so I'm really, I admit that I'm kind of behind um, the folks on this podcast and that I didn't really use it in the classroom. I think my plan for the fall is to actually have people do, you know, some work in the in the first week or two where I have students write an assignment, a relatively short assignment in response to some readings that we do for class. And then in class, actually sit down and have people use different chatbots. So someone use Google Bard, someone use ChatGPT, someone use ChatPDF, something like that and see what these bots generate in response to the same assignment. Um, because I want them to get at what Carrie was talking about before, which is kind of understanding, at this point at least, what these chatbots can do and what they can't do. Um, you know, why is it that they still write in this way that's that's kind of easy to identify, that's still sort of generic and robotic? Um, why would this not really pass muster for, these, for my assignments? 
Um, and because I feel like I need students to sort of see why this is while also understanding that there's some uses that could that they could use to help them with their writing and with their reading comprehension. And I want to use this exercise to kind of have an open conversation about what technology they use already. Um, what skills are they trying? What skills am I hoping they develop in the class? Um, and where do they feel kind of underconfident in their own skills, whether that is just because of different levels of preparation, different learning styles, possibly learning disabilities, whatever it might be, um, and try to open that up as much as possible right at the beginning of the semester. Those are really good ideas. I, I really like that. Emily, you are up next. All right. Uh, I would say that I use AI and tools like ChatGPT ChatGPT pretty regularly for things like brainstorming or writing initial drafts of content. I will also confess that I have a little bit of AI fear of missing out. So whenever someone mentions a new tool, I feel like I want to experiment with it as much as possible. So like Carrie said, I can start to understand its capabilities and limitations. Mm -hmm. And then I, I guess just one specific use that I had a lot of fun doing was generating a list of prompts to use for personalized learning so that they could, in a sense, create personalized learning games on a specific topic like homeostasis for the health sciences and the AI would ask questions about the topic and then adjust the level of difficulty according to the accuracy of the responses. What? It's fun. Everyone should try it. I highly recommend it. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. That's crazy. Like I'm seriously just confused right now. Um, I had, I had no idea. Wow. I have a lot to learn. Number five, if you are an educator, because I know Emily is as a designer right now, for those who are educators uh, or not, how have your students responded to AI? Emily, you are first on this one. Okay. And technically, I, I guess I'm not an educator. I like to think I am, but I'm not an instructor right now. And I would say that I, I did have the chance this summer to visit Claudia's professional writing class. And during that visit, we got to talk a little bit about AI literacy and experiment with some uses of generative AI. So we did things like try ChatGPT and assess its output. We also, I gave them one of my beloved personalized learning prompts and we entered it into a couple of different platforms just to see how different the output is in GPT versus BART or Bing, for example. But the thing that struck me the most from that very short visit was that Claudia's students had just amazing questions, really insightful questions about privacy, about labor concerns, and about what does ethical AI use entail? Those are really good questions. So I'm gonna have uh, Claudia follow up just because you're talking about her classroom. So why not have her pop in on this question too? Claudia? So, uh, you know, I feel like their, their reactions like, vary from week to week and and I have a like a wide range of how they're responding um sometimes you know we have some students that are very excited about it and there's some who just like I don't have time for that <laughs> um that are just kind of a little bit um just very much um skeptical about technology in some ways uh but that also see like the value of 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 what it can do. Um, I do sometimes think that they 
you know, we we did this assignment where we had, you know, we had them rewrite in, in different for different audiences. And I asked at the end of it, um, would you use AI to do this like in real life? And they were all like, no, no. Like everybody was like, no, only one person said yes. Um, this is like a, a, a group of like 12 students. Only one person said yes, which I found really, really surprising. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if that's because they think that's like the answer that that I wanted them to give or if it's really how they feel like they really wouldn't use that. Um, but it's been it's really been really interesting. And I definitely like plan to do some surveying, some polling at the end of the class where where I can ask some of these questions, right? Like how, you know, how likely are you to use this in the future and um, things like that. That's really good. Matt, did you want to contribute to this question? Maybe briefly, I, you know, I think that I, my experience has been similar to Claudia's. I also have had some students who've really stayed far away, some who just use it as a better version of Google, um, some who have been using kind of AI assisting technology like Grammarly already, others, and then others who, like I said, just handed in essays that were pretty clearly AI generated almost in their entirety. So um, I think it's been a real mix. I think, you know, what I've noticed though is that the students who have leaned more heavily on AI are the students who like, you know, are in one of my African history classes, but pretty much generally only take STEM classes um, or students who have, uh, you know, learning disabilities, or students who, you know, in general feel kind of unprepared for a class like mine. Um, and so what I'm trying to really think about is, you know, how do I bridge those gaps that have always been there? Um, and how can, you know, how can I do that either? How can I set, set up students to do that either with AI, like I said, in a way that's kind of transparent and actually helps them learn, um, or in a way that scaffolds things that, you know, in, in such a manner that they don't, that they can still do it without necessarily having to always turn to AI to kind of help bridge that gap. So really it's just forcing me to kind of really think about that gap in terms of student preparation um, and in terms of how easy, quote unquote, certain kinds of work are for certain students. Yeah, I think these are fundamental questions. You're asking that like across the board, educators really need to think about regardless of what they're teaching, right? Uh, yeah. I hopefully we have some research coming out. I hope we see some research coming out of people that can, you know, get to the bottom of those questions. Carrie, how about you? Yeah, I say that there's overwhelmingly students were really excited. And you know, I'm speaking more so at the graduate level where I just came from. Um, the students who were really excited about it were excited about the possibility of using it creatively and in appropriate ways. And then unfortunately, because I've also had to handle academic dishonesty with ChatGPT, it's kind of amazing to understand the reasons why students use them, kind of what Matt was talking about before. So with that on the kind of a negative side, what I've had to have a lot of conversations about is why you're using AI to uh, save you time. Is it because you have too many things going on in your life and you didn't have time to do the reading? So you asked for a summary via AI to help you, even though they didn't give you the right text and output. 
Was it that you weren't comfortable with the material? Um, was it because you felt like you were going to fail the class? So if you didn't have assistance here, what's the deal? And so I think as educators with the, um, the fear-based rationales for using AI, what we're all super afraid of, when it does happen, it's really important for us to inquire about the why behind the use and it helps us get two steps ahead in the future. And so with that, I would say overwhelmingly, and as I said this before, I've had a lot of really positive experiences. And I always start my classes now with a slide that details all of the ways that I welcome AI into a course. And I encourage our faculty um, to do the same. And this includes just some overarching ideas with, you know, crafting outlines for papers. So, so many students struggle with outlines, uh, learning more about unfamiliar topics or reading deeper into topics, operationalizing terms or assisting with creativity, like putting a paper in a poem format, if you'll accept it that way, or creating taglines and, and headlines or asking uh, for out-of-the-box ways to spruce up PowerPoints. And I, I think those are all fun and safe and meaningful ways that AI can be used without compromising the integrity of the work, as long as it's also sourced. And I know we talked about that a little bit uh, earlier, but the importance of sourcing AI in all of your work as well. And then also just a final point there, it's important to be transparent with students and, and I've definitely done this and it's worked, is tell them how many ways we can tell if they didn't do their own work. Um, tools like Turnitin now have a feature for checking AI and, and it's not foolproof yet, but it's a great way to show students like, listen, I'm gonna check on this to make sure that you're, you're doing this honestly. Same with doing in-class writing and inviting AI in the classroom so that you can see that balance. So I think it's just a really great way to hold students accountable for their learning as well. So I think if holistically students have embraced it, but with those few caveats, I think are really important to share. Okay. Um, so in the last couple minutes that we have for this podcast, this is a big question. So educators are going to be listening to this, uh, hopefully all over the world. So what advice would you give to other instructors or other educators about the use of generative AI? Claudia, what's your wisdom? Oh, so for me, it's don't ignore it. It's not going to go away. That's it. <laughs> That's, that's all I have to say. Okay, good. Emily, what's your advice? I guess I would build upon what Claudia said that I think resistance or denial is unlikely to be helpful in the long run. I, I think faculty and instructors might need to take time for a grieving or acceptance process. And from there, maybe start experimenting with different tools so that they can better understand how they work. I also, this is what I tell any faculty that I help, is to find a point of entry that's comfortable, whether that's automating or streamlining tasks. But I'd also urge them to try using AI for at least one assessment in the classroom. And then the most important thing I would say, which is sort of like City's mantra now, this comes from Brent Anders' AI literacy imperative, is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing with AI. And it's okay to start slow, but we need to be intentional about when we're using it and when we're not. That's a nice bit of advice. Okay, Carrie, what do you have to say? I think 
think uh, based on everybody's comments, I don't have anything more to add with the embrace it conversation. But what I will say is start with the end in mind. If you want to use uh, AI in your classroom, which again, I encourage, start with the end in mind, see how it fits into the end goals of your course and make sure that they help achieve the learning objectives. Awesome. And last but not least, Matt. Well, building on that, yeah, there were there were a couple of things that came to mind, and the first one was was very connected to Carrie's comment, which is to really think about from the instructional side the purpose of your assignments. I know that we focus a lot sometimes as instructors on content and content delivery, but most of our assignments have some element of, of skill building that we're trying to get students to work on, and I think really being clear on what is the method or skill or process I'm trying to get students to learn through an assignment helps get us clarity, like Carrie's saying, on where generative AI might be helpful in students picking up these skills and where it might actually circumvent and prevent them from really taking the time to, to, to learn these skills. And I think we can be explicit with students about that. Um, I think the second thing from an assignment standpoint is also, of course, this is like old news, I know, in the, in the pedagogy world, but to really break down and scaffold assignments. If the first and last thing that students are giving me is a completed paper assignment, then the process is very obscure to me and to them. Um, and so really breaking it down and having them hand in pieces of the assignment at different times, I think gives, gives me some insight into kind of like what the student's own method is. Um, you know, you don't, I don't spend a lot of time reading over everything with a fine tooth comb along the way, um, but it gives me a chance to see where they might be struggling. And then the last thing I'll say is just, um, like the benefit of talking about it and, and getting into it now is that they is that I think these chatbots are going to get better at mimicking student writing tone of getting citations and quotations of synthesizing multiple sources. So if you are someone, you know, who's worried about kind of plagiarism and those sorts of and academic dishonesty and, and AI, um, you know, those things will get harder to detect. Right now, they're pretty easy, but. Um, but I think having a baseline understanding of what it can do and can't do now makes it easier to kind of follow it as it gets more complex. Um, it's kind of like my friend said when I visited her with my newborn and she had a three-year-old and I just looked at her three-year-old like tearing around her apartment and I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. Um, and she's like, well, you know, that's why babies aren't born as three-year-olds. You know, by the time you get there, you've been on this path a little bit and you kind of know what, you know, you're kind of more prepared. And so I think I'm trying to take the same approach with, with AI. I love it. That is like the best way to end this podcast. I hope those listening, you got a lot out of this, just like I did. And I want to thank all the panelists today for giving me your time and your wisdom and your energy. This is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Teaching in the City. This podcast is produced by the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation at Rush University. To learn more about City and to find additional resources and events on teaching and learning at Rush, search for CTEI Rush in your web browser or find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts.